Jamie, thank you. Three in one, God is a redeeming God. There is a redeemer. Father, Son, and Spirit redeeming us, redeeming our past, redeeming our present, redeeming our future. To him be praise. Welcome to One and All. We began last week a series in the book of Romans, series on chapter 8 of the book of Romans. So if you want to take a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8, please do so. Romans chapter 8, that'll be on page, if you're using the church Bible, that'll be on page 944. Last week I attempted to familiarize you with the whole chapter kind of the sweep of the chapter, an incredible sweep to the words that Paul writes here in what I call this chapter of all chapters, uh, the best chapter, I think, in the whole Bible. And so today we're going to start to move through the text. Today we'll take a look at verses 1 through 3. And my goodness, you, you can't get a better statement to start the chapter of chapters, a better statement anywhere than verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's just a wow statement. That's a proclamation of the gospel and the freedom that we have in the gospel. Times change. When I was a kid, about 10 years of age, My brothers and I have five brothers, four older, one younger. My brothers and I used to listen to what was the really hot radio station in Boston. WMEX Boston, AM 1510. Now, a little history lesson, an ancient history lesson. AM, that's uh, early broadcast technology. It's been superseded now. Today, AM is all about news and weather and uh, talk shows and sports and that kind of thing. But back then, AM was like hopping, okay? And we would listen to WMEX all the time. We'd hear top 40 songs. We were, especially at this point in my life, we were captured. WMEX always featured the latest songs from that new band from England called the Beatles. We would just listen to it all the time. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, WMEX. On Sunday mornings, they'd be playing the Beatles. But once an hour, they'd also provide a public service announcement. They'd interrupt the music. So you'd listen to the Beatles, say, and then they'd interrupt. And this choir would come on, choir would sing a little jingle. And I'm going to sing it for you. I remember both the words and the tune. It's Sunday in Boston, and it's time to go to church. WMEX urges you to stop and pray. I mean, look at those words. Sunday in Boston, time to go to church. So this is, this is top 40 radio. 
Time to go to church. WMX urges you to stop and pray. I'll tell you, the hidden message of that jingle is that for a kid, a 10-year-old kid, it's totally normal to listen to the Beatles and it's totally normal to go to church. Totally normal to pray. Not anymore. Times change. I can't imagine taking out my iPhone, opening up my Apple Music, and having a jingle come on. It's Sunday in Princeton, and time to go to Stone Hill. Apple Music urges you to stop and pray. That's never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. That was then, and this is now. As Dorothy says, we're not in Kansas anymore. We are living in the U.S in a post-Christian, secular age. An age, as I called it last week, an age of resurgent unbelief. An age in which believing in Jesus, going to church on a Sunday morning, praying, an age in which these things are for so many people weird, just weird. And as a pastor, I need to attend with you and on your behalf. I need to attend to the issues of resurgent unbelief out there, but also right here in God's house. Because it is a constant battle for followers of Jesus to maintain a vibrant, faith-filled, spirit-led life in these days. It's a constant challenge, reminding you of the title of the series, it's a constant challenge to stay resilient, to be more than conquering the battles of unbelief. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, this opening section of this chapter of chapters, we have a key text to face one of the biggest battles of unbelief. I'm going to read the text, follow as I read it. Romans 8, verses 1 through 3. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. We'll stop there. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, take these three verses such an intense and and dramatic introduction to this chapter of chapters. Help us to hear them and understand them and receive them. Show us Jesus, Father. Show us Jesus, Holy Spirit. We ask in his great name. Amen. Does God really forgive me? Can God really wipe away this filthiness of mine? I've done this thing. 
I've reacted this way. I've spoken those angry words a hundred times in the past month. And here I am again, doing it again, saying it again, reacting it again. Can God really forgive me? We've all said this many times, and we will all say it again. Tim Chester, in his book, Opening the Window, a book about this very kind of thing, records several heart cries, actually actual words of people struggling with repeated sins that just drag you down. Here are several of those cries. When I do this, it makes me want to hide from God. It makes me doubt my salvation. And then depression comes, and with the depression comes the temptation to sin again. and just get caught in a cycle. Or again, I don't feel worthy to serve God when this happens, and I don't believe that I can break the habit. Or again, I can't talk to God about this problem because my picture of him is that he, he would accept me if and when I had scrubbed myself up enough. These kind of heart cries are cries of condemnation. They're the cries that you cry when in your heart, you're hearing God say, in response to something you've done, you're hearing God say, you are guilty, you have transgressed, you are defiled, you're at fault, you're condemned. The cries of condemnation, the cries in your heart when you, when you say to yourself, I'm guilty, I have failed, I'm defiled, it's my fault, I'm condemned. These things are condemnation. And in verse 1, the word condemnation is what I'll call the radioactive word, okay? Uh, without the word, if Paul put a different word in there, the, the statement would be a nice statement, but it wouldn't have the, the hypercharge that it has when you read it on the page. I mean, let's say it, wrote, it, it read, there is therefore now no, no worry to those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's a nice thought. What if it said, there's therefore now no disappointment for those who are in Christ Jesus? I mean, that's true. There's a helpful sentiment. But Paul doesn't write that. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation, that radioactive word. There's therefore now no more pronouncing me guilty and worthy of death. That's what condemnation is. Pronouncing, declaring someone guilty and worthy of death. No more in my heart. When Paul wrote this, he did something else. He did, not only did he use a word that in, in his letters is, is a radioactive word. He also changed up the grammar. He used a very unusual word order. He broke the word order rules, so to speak. And it, it's hard to catch it in the English, but it, it, it's almost as if to catch attention, he wrote, not at all condemnation is there, therefore. We don't talk that way. Yoda talks that way, but we don't talk that way, okay? 
Not at all condemnation, therefore, is there for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is, a, this is an incredible statement. It's the gospel exploded out into our hearts through very simple focus on an issue that we all face, condemnation. Here's what one preacher, John Piper, wrote about it. He said, no condemnation. This is breathtaking. If we could believe it practically, morning till night, deep in our souls, oh, how differently we would live and sleep. What freedom in those words. What joy, what peace, what risk-taking boldness, what sacrificial lifestyle of love and service and mercy, what patience, what serenity. I don't think he's overstating it. These are powerful, powerful words. I want to push it down even further, what Paul's saying here. It's Communion Sunday. I don't, I don't have as much time as I would like to, to, to devote to these verses. But I do want to work the connection between verse 1, this bold statement, and verses 2 and 3. There is a connection, a very strong connection. If you look at the text, you'll see it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life. So there's a for, connecting word, a causal connecting word. And then look at verse 3, same thing. For God has done what the law weakened in the flesh could not do. There's a strong connection here between the statement of verse 1, no condemnation, and what happens in verse 2, and then what happens in verse 3. Let me illustrate it this way. The word condemnation and the flow as Paul treats it in verses 2 and 3, all that is kind of like my front door. Uh, if you come to my house, those of you who have been to my house, you know, it's a blue house. It has off-white trim. The front door is a, a, it's red. It's like a colonial red. It pops. Okay. You, just, you just see it. So you're walking up to the door. I mean, you, that, 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 that's what you see, red. And as you get close to the door, kind of getting used to the red thing, then you'll notice that the door, like other doors, the door has two locks. There's the handle lock. And then there's a deadbolt lock. My door is a two-lock door. And it's the same with the word condemnation. Condemnation is a two-lock, a double-lock word. Condemnation has locked all of us down in two ways, two locks. And in verse 2, and then in verse 3, Paul unlocks both of those locks, one at a time. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at the very first, uh, verse 2, the first lock. And that lock is what we say to ourselves when we sin that sin again. Look at the text, verse 2. Paul writes, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you. By the way, that word you is singular. It's, it's not you the group. It's you, the follower of Jesus. You put your name in there. You know. the, the law of the spirit of life has set Matt Restucia free. 
The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, the first thing I want to say about verse 2 is, alongside verse 1 and verse 3, it's richly Trinitarian. This text is all about the three persons of the one God. Father, Son, and Spirit. You see them. I mean, right here, verse 2, you've got the Spirit. You've got Christ later on in the verse. Verse 3, you've got God, God the Father. So the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're at work here. They're doing something. But there's something else that's doing something. And that's verse 2, the law of sin and death. Paul's using the word law here the way we speak about, say, the law of gravity. It's not an ordinance. It's not a piece of legislation. Instead, it's a principle. It's a power. It's something that you figure out and then you count on. It's happening. Karen has a law. Karen's law of 6.15. She knows. My wife, Karen, knows. Here's the law of 6.15 p.m. Avoid talking to Matt about anything of significance until he has some food in his belly. It's the law of 6.15 in the evening. That's it. Now, the law of sin and death is exactly the same thing. It's an experience that we have. When we experience... What Paul's referred to in verse 1 is condemnation. When we start to say to ourselves in response to a sin, a failure, a repeated thing that we just can't seem to break out of, when we say to ourselves things like, I'm condemned, I'm defiled, I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm over. I mean, we human beings, here's what we do. We take a law, a standard. Let's say it's a standard from God. Or it's a standard from ourselves. Or it's a standard from our peer group or our society. We take some sort of standard, a law, we bring it inside of ourselves, and we, we, we meet it. We, 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 we reach it. And when we do that, we just cruise along. Everything's going great. But eventually, we will break the law. We will fail to meet the standard. And that happens, and then when it happens again, and if it happens again after that, at a certain point, there's that voice inside of you that starts to condemn, that starts to say, you failed. You're guilty. You're condemned. You're, you're worthless. This is the law of sin and death. The law of sin, that, that relation to God, we, we, we don't meet his standards. We break his law and of death. In response to that, the, the despair, the isolation, the abandonment, the condemnation that goes on in ourselves, that is the law of sin and death. And Paul has been struggling with that law in chapter 7. I don't have time to go back there, but if you look in the middle of the chapter, say this afternoon, you were to read it, you'd see Paul saying things like, you know, I really want to do this good thing, but I don't do it. And instead, the things that I don't want to do, that bad thing that I don't want to do, I wind up doing it. It's the law of sin and death in the Apostle Paul. Paul. 
Verse 24 of chapter 7, he's drawing that whole discussion to a close. Here's what he writes. Wretched man that I am. There's condemnation. There's the law of sin and death at play. Wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Well, I am so happy that Paul wrote verse 2 of chapter 8. I'll tell you who can set you free from the law of sin and death. It's the law, the working, the experience of the spirit of life. And the spirit, capital S, the spirit of life sets you free in Christ Jesus from this law of sin and death. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God can move that condemnation aside and replace it with life, with renewal, with hope. And he does that when he brings you back to Christ. When he takes what Jesus has done for you at the cross and he sinks it a little bit deeper into your soul at that moment, at that point. And when that happens, condemnation is replaced by life. And when that happens, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of thing that we do at communion. When at communion, those who know and trust Christ, when we take the elements, the bread, the cup, you know, where we're kind of, by the grace of God and with the work of the Holy Spirit, we're kind of focusing on Jesus, what he did for us. And receiving, eating, taking into our bodies, taking into our souls the assurance God loves you. God died for you. God has forgiven you in his son. We do that once a month in this church. That's good. Let me share with you the not-so-secret secret of being truly spiritual. And that is to allow the spirit of life, verse 2, to set you free daily from all the condemning voices, from all the repeated experiences of the law of sin and death. And you do that, you do that with scripture, with a text like this, with prayer, reflection. It, I mean, at first... In the aftermath of yet again doing that thing, you may feel like this, this, this is so, so brittle, so ritual, so like, you know, it means nothing. But as you sit there in the presence of God and you allow the Spirit, you wait before the Spirit and allow Him to do so, eventually something will happen. It'll break through. And a statement like verse 1 will suddenly get hypercharged, electric. And you'll discover afresh the wonder of the gospel that God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, you should not perish but have eternal life right now. Renewed and alive. The spirit of life sets you free from the law of sin and death. Honestly, my experience with my soul, given what Christ has done for us, the difficulties that I have with condemnation, 
are self-imposed. When we discover by the grace of God, when we allow the Spirit of God to bring us back to Christ, then when we remember how much we have been forgiven, any kind of condemnation will be replaced by, by love, by hope. Because as Jesus said, those who realize that they have been forgiven much will love much. This is the first lock. Now the second lock is verse 3. What God says when we sin that sin yet again. And the fact is that when we sin, when we violate God's law, not necessarily our own law or, you know, our peer group's law or the society's law. When we, when we violate God's law, we do transgress. We do sin. We do defile ourselves. And God has every right to say, condemned. And that is why verse 3 is such a splendid statement in this text. Let's look at it, verse 3. Let me read it. For God has done what the law, he has in mind primarily the Old Testament law there, but you could you know, my law, society's laws, all those standards. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh. We're, we're, we're broken, weak, finite human beings. Weakened by the flesh. God has done what the law could not do. And here's what God did. By sending his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. Let me point out a couple phrases here to give you the, the flow of thought there. Uh, for God has done. This is divine initiative. There's nothing here about what I've done or what you've done. This is what God has done. This is this is grace. This is undeserved intervention. God has done what we could never have done. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Here's what he did. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. I love that little phrase, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Uh, Paul did not write, God sent his son in the likeness of flesh. Because that would be wrong. Jesus really was flesh. And bone. God sent him in flesh. It's the likeness of sinful flesh. Paul also did not write that, that he sent him in sinful flesh. In the likeness of sinful flesh is what he says. In other words, what Paul's doing here is he's, he's simultaneously saying, Jesus really is human. But he's sinless. Flawless. Spotless. And this spotless, sinless, flawless Son of God was sent by the Father to be for us sin. You see the little phrase there after likeness of sinful flesh and for sin? If you're using the ESV, the church Bible, you'll see a little three, a little footnote there. And you take that footnote and you go down to the bottom of the page and you have there the idea of that phrase. Uh, God sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering. They give that footnote with, with legitimacy. 
Because like so many Jews of his time, Paul was familiar with the Old Testament through its Greek translation at his time, what's called the Septuagint. And in that Greek translation, the little phrase that Paul uses there, for sin, was the phrase that was used in the Old Testament, say in the book of Leviticus, to describe sin offerings. In other words, when, when someone sinned, they would come to the priest, bring a bull, let's say. The priest would take the bull, slaughter the bull as a sin offering for sin, for that person's sin. And the person's sin would be washed, forgiven, released. And so here we are with just several words at the heart of the gospel that Christ the sinless one Christ the sinless one is my sin offering my substitute and when he died my guilt and my condemnation died as well as Paul puts it at the end of verse 3 God condemned sin in Jesus' flesh. Dear ones, Jesus was sent. Jesus was crucified. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And when Jesus died, the Father was, verse 3, condemning sin in Jesus' body. He was announcing its judgment. Sin now is, will not condemn you. Uh, you will not be owned. You will not be judged. You will not be uh, uh, liable to the punishment that you would otherwise because Christ is your sin offering when you trust him with simple faith. That's what's going on here. And therefore, let me say, let me say to all of you here who know Jesus by faith, let me say it also to any here who don't know Jesus by faith, that this could be your reality. Those of you who know him, this is your reality. Because of God's condemning sin in the flesh in Jesus, first of all, number one, your shameful sins, all the things you're too embarrassed to talk about, condemned in Jesus' flesh. Your repeated sins condemned in Jesus' flesh. Your big sins condemned in Jesus' flesh. Your little sins condemned in Jesus' flesh. Your embarrassing sins condemned in Jesus' flesh. Your Whatever, whatever the adjective is, your whatever sins, they are condemned in Jesus' flesh. The doubly locked door of condemnation has now been thrown open by the work of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, Christ, verse 2, the Spirit. The condemning voice of God as judge. Verse 3, silence. Through the death of Jesus Christ for you. And the condemning voice inside of you. Silenced. 
by the law, the experience of the spirit of life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, sanctifier and life giver, thank you for giving us this text. Ancient words with such contemporary power. Holy Spirit of God, as we now remember the Son of God, Jesus, crucified in our place through the the bread and the cup, Holy Spirit, sink even deeper into our hearts the truth of verse 1. Renew us. Replace the law of sin and death, the experience of sin and death. Replace that with the law of the spirit of life. Set us free in Christ Jesus. For we ask it in his great name. Amen. Now I invite you to join me in communion. If you're a